today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us, because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. We are in the sixth chapter of the book of Romans tonight. The book of Romans gives to us the meaning of the new covenant. It's the theology of the church. Everything in your Bible from Genesis forward strains toward the book of Romans. And everything after the book of Romans strains back to the book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives to us man's dilemma, man's problem. In the first chapter, Paul dealt with the Gentile world, how that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, and they became vain in their imaginations made up their own gods, and their hearts became darkened and filled with unrighteousness. And the latter portion of the first chapter is not a pretty picture. Chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Romans, Paul deals with the Jewish world, came from the loins of Abraham and the womb of Sarah. They were given the word of God, And you would think that that would bring them closer to God when really it didn't. They knew the Word of God, and when Christ came on the scene, they did not know who He was or claimed they didn't, and they crucified their Messiah. They claimed to be keeping the Word of God, but Paul told them that they were not, and he talked about that in Romans chapters 2 and 3. Paul said there, summing it all up there in the third chapter, verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is man's problem. Understand that. It's not man's environment. But man's problem is a heart problem. It's sin. Sin is the cause of all the sickness in this world. Sin is the cause of all greed. Sin is the cause of death. Sin is the cause of divorce. Sin is the cause of child abuse, racism. The list goes on and on. The problem is sin. And until sin is dealt with, you're still going to have a problem. And 
Paul gave us the solution, God's answer to man's dilemma in verse 24. Romans 3, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified. Justified, never sinned. That, that means you're not guilty. That means the death sentence that was once upon you has been commuted. The death sentence on you has been commuted from death to life. Think about that. Some years ago, the state of Tennessee, they abolished the death penalty. And Dan Rather took a group of cameramen into one of the prisons there in Tennessee went down to a particular part of the prison where they had those on death row. And the warden of the prison took them to one particular cell. And the cameraman zoomed in on a black man standing there. He must have been over six feet tall, shoulders out to here. And Dan Rather looked at that man and said, Sir, your sentence has been commuted from death to life. And that big black man standing there over six foot tall, his shoulders began to shake and tears rolled down his cheeks. That is what God has done for you and I. We were on death row. We were on our way to eternal hell, condemned for all eternity. And our sentence has been commuted from death to life. We have been justified, just if we have never sinned. And Paul deals with the subject of justification Justification is only by faith. He deals with that in chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Romans. He tells us that it's not by keeping certain laws and rituals. He uses Abraham and David as examples. But if you will, go to Romans 5 and verse 19 and take a look at that. He said, therefore, as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Now, this is referring to Adam. Adam was the federal head of the human race. The decision that he made affected everybody. Now, people say, well, that ain't fair. I didn't know Adam, and what he did shouldn't have any effect on me. Well, that ain't how the system works. There are people in Washington, D.C. right now that make decisions all the time that affect all of us. We didn't have anything to do with it. We don't like it. We don't approve of it. But nevertheless, we are still affected by those who are in high-up positions. And Adam was in a high-up position. He was the federal head. He represented the entirety of the human race. And the decision that he made has affected 
everybody. And so we all um, fall into sin. We have that sin nature in us. Uh, he said there in verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so as by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now both Adam and Christ were representatives of the human race. And just as we were declared sinful because of what Adam did, his disobedience, likewise, due to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ, all who believe in him can be declared righteous. And it's all by simple faith in Christ. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. For some 2,400 years from Adam up until Moses, there was no law. So the people at that time were not held accountable for their sins. However, they still suffered the consequences of their actions. They died because of sin. So the law, the Ten Commandments, entered into the picture to identify what sin was. And instead of that slowing the situation down, it only made it worse. Paul said the offenses abounded, sin increased. Why did it increase? Because man is inquisitive by nature. And I've given the example before of the, the mall where they put that box in the center of it and put a hole in it and a sign that said, don't peep in this hole. And they backed off over there with the cameras and there were people lined up trying to peep in that hole because it said, don't do it. Don't do it. That just makes people want to do it more. Man is inquisitive. And when the law came, sin only abounded. It, it only got worse. But he went on to say that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. In other words, irrespective of how bad the sin is in a person's life, no matter what they've done, no matter how bad it is, God's grace is sufficient to cover and to forgive and to cleanse anybody and to set the captive free. That's what Paul meant by that statement. Now, his teachings on grace was not very widely accepted by the church of that day. And the reason for it is most of the church in that day was made up of Jews. And for some 1,600 years, the Jewish people had lived by the law. It was their culture, their way of life, everything centered around the law of God, and it centered up in the law. And you had some who accepted Christ, but they were wanting to add Christ to their laws and their rules and rituals and ceremonies, and Paul said that's not going to work. He came against this. In Romans 4, in verse 14, if you will take a look at that, 
Romans 4, verse 14, Paul said, For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. If you will, go to Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. Galatians 5, verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, and you can substitute anything there, if you be baptized in water, if you wash feet, if you take the Lord's Supper, if you fast, if you read the Bible, if you pray so much every day, any of these types of things, if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, there's nothing wrong with being baptized. If you're saved, you need to be baptized according to the Word of God. If you're saved, you'll read His Word. You'll fast from time to time, although I can tell a lot of that don't go on as much as it needs to. All right, look right straight at me right now. <laughs> But there's nothing wrong with those things. But when you put your faith in the doing of those things to save you or to try to earn some type of merit with God, he said, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that, if, that he is a debtor to do the whole law Christ is become of none effect unto you, whosoever you are, who are justified by the law. You are fallen from grace. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, flip over there. A very familiar passage of Scripture again. Ephesians 2, move down to verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, these statements that Paul made, and I've just given you a few of them here, so angered the Jews. They were saying all kinds of things, and this was coming from different directions. They were trying to discredit Paul. They were saying all kinds of things. Some would come up to him and say, who do you think you are? You're not even one of the original 12 disciples. You've just come on the scene here in the past few months, and you're, you're telling us all about this grace stuff. What, what you're preaching, if it was of God, God would have given it to one of the 12 disciples, not you. So Paul was constantly having to defend his apostleship because of this. Some would take what Paul said there in Romans 5 and verse 20, where he said, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Some would take that, and they would twist it, and they would say, well, Paul's given us a license to sin. We can just go out here and do whatever we want to do, and grace will cover it. And that ain't what Paul was saying. So he has to defend his statements. 
And in Romans 6 and verse 1, it took me a while to get there, but it has been a couple of weeks since we looked at this. He asked the question, Romans 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He very quickly answers it and says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, let's take a look at sin for just a few moments. You need to understand sin. If you don't understand the problem, you're not going to understand the solution to the problem. Now, when we say the word sin, immediately most people think of acts of sin. Adultery, fornication, drunkenness, bitterness, envy, quarreling. The list goes on and on. Sin covers a wide ocean front of things that we consider to be sin. Acts of sin is considered to be a verb, an action word. But Paul uses the word sin as a noun. And if you look at Romans 5.21, this is one of the places that he uses the word sin as a noun and not as a verb. Okay? Look at what he said there. Romans 5.21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. The word sin here in this verse is personified. It's used as a noun. It's, sin is pictured as a king ruling in the heart and life of the individual. The sin nature. A noun. Not an action or an act of sin. Also in verse 21, grace is also personified. Grace is used as a noun. It is pictured as a king ruling and reigning in a person's heart. That is the Holy Spirit or the divine nature that comes in the moment a person gets saved. One or the other of these two natures is ruling and reigning in your life. Let me say that again. One or the other, even people who say, I'm going to do like I want to do. Still, one or the other is ruling and reigning that individual. It's either the sin nature or the divine nature. When a person says, I'm going to have it my way and I'm going to do it like I want to do it, that's the sin nature. That selfishness, I'm going to do what I want to do. It's the same nature that Satan had when he was called Lucifer. I will ascend. I will exalt my throne. I will do this. I will do that. And it stinks in the nostrils of God, and God cast him out. So I ain't going to have nothing to do with you. 
It's that sin nature, and one or the other is ruling and reigning within our hearts and lives. This sixth chapter of Romans gives us the mechanics of the Holy Spirit. Tells us how to have victory over this monster of the sin nature that's in our lives. The sixth chapter tells us that. In the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, we have the dynamics of the Holy Spirit as the source of power to live as we should. And the eighth chapter of Romans is where God wants us to be. God wants us living in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, where the Holy Spirit is the power source in our lives, helping us to live for God as we should. That's where we're supposed to be. But sadly, most Christians are stuck in the seventh chapter of Romans. They never make it to Romans chapter 8 in their Christian experience. Yes, they read 6, 7, and 8 and go on through, but they're living, their whole Christian experience stops right there in Romans chapter 7, where Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That doesn't sound like a person that's got victory over the sin nature. But that's where most Christians are at. And the seventh chapter reveals to us a Christian who is trying to live for God by the means of willpower and self. And you can't live for God in the flesh. It can only be done in the spirit. And we're going to learn a little bit more of that, how to do that as we go along. Now this is something that every single one of us have to go through. Every single person will go through and experience Romans chapter 7. Because we're all learning here. Amen? None of us have arrived. Some of us fluctuate between Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. But you want to get over there in Romans chapter 8 and, and stay there. That's where, that's, where you, that's where you want to be living at in, in that chapter. All right. In this sixth chapter of the book of Romans, as you're reading through this chapter at home, every time you see the word sin in this chapter, the word sin is used as a noun. It also has in the Greek what is known as the definite article. It wasn't translated over into our English because it's clumsy and it didn't make any sense to the King James translators, so they left it out. Actually, it reads, the sin. When Paul said there in verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in the sin? And when, and when I say that, you think, what sin? Living in the sin. What sin? It's not what sin. It's, it's talking about the principle of sin. It's talking about the sin nature. So as you read through the sixth chapter of Romans to get a clearer understanding of what Paul is saying here, 
If you will substitute the word sin nature, every time you come to it and read it in this chapter, and picture the word sin as being a king ruling and reigning in a person's heart and life, you'll come away with a better understanding of what Paul is saying here in the sixth chapter of the book of Romans. Because like I said, most of the time, uh, the word sin is used as a noun. All right. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The word continue means to remain or abide. Continue. To remain or abide. Now, with that in mind, the question could be phrased this way. Shall we as believers continue the same relationship with the sin nature that we had before we got saved? And, of course, Paul very passionately answers, God forbid. In other words, away with that kind of thinking. Don't let that kind of thing uh, occur in your life. He goes on to enforce that with this question in verse 2. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? At the moment of salvation, our relationship to the sin nature is dead. And we take on a divine nature. We begin a new relationship with the divine nature. And that is where your learning curve is at. Now, you need to get a proper definition of the word dead and death. Death does not mean annihilation or extinction. The word death means separation. When you go to the funeral home and you see the casket there and there's a body laying there, Their separation has taken place. The soul and the spirit has separated from that physical body, and they have stepped into eternity, whether that be heaven or hell. And that body is laying there in that coffin. Death, separation, that's what death means, separation. What we're talking about here is a separation as it pertains to relationships, okay? I dated several different girls before I married Dana. Now, before I married Dana, those relationships had to die. At least they better have. You understand what I'm saying? That wouldn't have worked out very well. My new relationship with Dana wouldn't have been very good if I still had this going on over here on the side. It wouldn't have been good for my health. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? So when you come to Christ, there is separation as it pertains to your relationship. Your relationship to the sin nature is dead. You no longer have that relationship going on. The things that you used to do, the things I used to do uh, in those relationships, I didn't try to drag it over here into my new relationship with Dana. That wasn't going to work. Not going to be healthy for me, not going to be healthy for them. Somebody's going to get hurt. You're not going to have peace 
in a situation like that. But see, that's, that is why a lot of Christians are not enjoying their salvation experience because they've still got this little bit of a relationship going on with the sin nature. Are you following me? They've got this new relationship going on with the Holy Spirit trying to pull them in this direction, wanting them to do these things, and now you've got the sin nature still wanting to do these things over here. You've got this, this, this conflict going on. And you've got to make up in your mind that when I come to Christ, that relationship with the sin nature is dead. I'm separated from it. We, I don't do those things. I don't go with this person anymore. I, I'm not going with them. I'm going with, with this one now. And you, you've got to make up your mind, see. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The problem is, in physical relationships things can get ugly breakups can be ugly and the relationship can be dead the person's not dead they're still alive I'm still alive but things got ugly when we broke up and we see each other from time to time words get said does anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes a breakup in a relationship don't, don't go too good. And when you break up with that sin nature, it's ugly. And it rears its ugly head once in a while. And it causes you trouble. Do you understand what I'm, I'm trying to compare a physical relationship with a spiritual relationship? You've been going and dating this sin nature for a long time, way longer than you have this new relationship with the Holy Spirit. And when this breakup takes place, it's ugly. They don't like it. And they're going to cause you problems down the road. Every single one of us have that problem. The sin nature rears its ugly head from time to time, although... The relationship is dead, there can still be problems there. You, you need to understand that. Just because you're having a problem with the sin nature, that don't mean you're not saved. You're just experiencing normal, everyday Christianity. But as time goes on, it does not bother you that much anymore. You will come to that place to where it don't bother you as much anymore. But right to start with, it can be... It can be a mess. When God saves you, death occurs. There's separation, not extinction. God does not eliminate the sin nature from your heart and life. Somebody asked me a few weeks ago, why does God leave that sin nature there? Why is it still in us? Why, when we got saved, why didn't God just remove that altogether the moment we got saved? The Bible tells us that when the rapture takes place, corruption's going to put on incorruption. 
the sin nature will be removed at that time when the rapture takes place. Now that tells us something right there when you read those when you read those verses in your Bible. There is a physical connection of the sin nature with our physical bodies. Now where that's at and how to determine how all that works. I can't tell you. I don't know. God does. But my point is this. If God, the moment you got saved, if he had completely removed the sin nature, the moment you got saved, you'd have died right then. Because there's a physical connection of the sin nature with our physical bodies. There's another reason why God leaves that sin nature within our hearts and lives. And it's for disciplinary reasons. Now, what do I mean by that? Disciplinary reasons. Although we're saved and we have the Holy Spirit within our hearts and lives, we still have the same problem that the Jews of old had, and that's pride. See? If God had removed the sin nature completely, You'd be going around bragging, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't took a drink in, in, in five months. And you'd be bragging about, oh, look at, look at how good I am and how good I'm doing. That's ugly. It stinks in the nostrils of God. Spiritual pride is the worst pride that there is. And in order for you to live for God as you should, you have to be humble and stay humble before God and seek his face and draw close to him, understanding that if you don't draw close to him and develop your relationship with Christ, you're going to fall flat on your face and you're going to be right back out there in the world doing the same old things you used to do. So that's another reason why God leaves that sin nature there is to keep us humble. And I'm going to stop right there for tonight. There's a whole lot more that can be said, and we'll deal with that a little bit later. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to EstablishedInTheFaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.